You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, produced in cooperation with AMDA. Your host is Dr. Eric Tangelos, professor of medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and a certified medical director in long-term care. How can pets in long-term care facilities help comfort residents and improve their overall quality of life? Joining us to discuss compassionate care for patients with dementia and Alzheimer's is Dr. David Dosa, geriatrician and health services researcher at Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island, and author of Making Rounds with Oscar, The Extraordinary Gift of an Ordinary Cat. David, welcome to our program. Well, thank you for having me on. All right. Well, I just finished your book a few weeks ago and said, let's bring Dr. Dosa back onto the program. You were a guest of ReachMD once before when you had published your editorial in the New England Journal. But now let's talk about the cat, your book, and uh, your uncanny ability to tell a good story that is way more than just a tale of a cat, but a a story that talks about compassionate care and end-of-life decisions. Yeah, there's uh, a lot in the book. I think it's a book about much more than just Oscar. There's certainly a lot of Oscar in the book, and I think readers find out a fair amount about what he does and how he does it, mostly through the eyes of the people who have been with him at the end, the family members of those that have died. But I think that the book really serves more or less as a vehicle to talk about some of the other things that I think are very important at the end of life, mainly decisions that are made at the end of life and some of the difficulties that family members have making those decisions and figuring out how to navigate very difficult waters that many of them are unfamiliar with. Well, Oscar was clearly important as the book took shape and has this creative ability. For our members of the audience that aren't familiar, tell us a little bit about the cat, your observations, and then we'll get into the details of how the whole story fits together with end-of-life decision-making. Well, sure. Oscar is a black-and-white tabby cat. He's five years old now. He's resided at the Steerhouse Nursing and Rehabilitation Center here in Providence, Rhode Island since 2005. Uh, I've been on faculty there since 2003, and initially I'd have to say that Oscar was very much just a cat. We have a fairly active animal program at Steerhouse. We have six cats, although we actually just lost one, so there are five cats there now. But uh, when they brought him in, he was just a cat. He wasn't particularly friendly, would keep out of the way. Most of the time, you'd find him under a bed somewhere or in a closet if, if you were looking for him. But unless you were writing in charts, chances are he would be nowhere to be found. But he does like to sit on charts when you're in the nursing home trying to see patients. But gradually, over the course of his young life, people in the nursing home really started to talk about what uh, Oscar was doing, that somewhat uncharacteristically he was coming to sit with patients at the end of life holding a vigil. Now, uh, the third floor of Steerhouse is an end-stage dementia unit. Most of the patients there are quite end-stage in their disease course, and I think the fact that you know this cat would come and sit on the bed and then a patient on that floor would soon pass sort of got everybody talking quite readily. I think all of us were somewhat skeptical initially of this idea that a cat might be able to hold a vigil or understand when somebody might be ready to move on to bigger and better things, but uh, if you've seen it once and then twice and then ten times and as many times as he's done it now, it, it really starts to hit home that, you know, there are times where Oscar seemingly knows when somebody's on their way out before any of the staff does. 
Is anybody afraid of Oscar's attendance at their bedside, or is this pretty well received? Well, we've been very lucky. You know, you'd mentioned the New England Journal of Medicine essay that I wrote, which came about somewhat surprisingly to me, first of all, that they would publish it, and then secondly, that it got all the attention that it did. If you want a recipe for a media circus, it's one part cat and one part death and dying, and (laughs) pretty soon you're talking to everybody. But, you know, I think when that media circus happened, the message was all wrong. And I think the message was really, you know, deaf cat sits on bed, people die, you know, the Grim Reaper and all those kinds of things. So I was very worried after all of this happened that there would be this mass exodus from the nursing home. The people on the floor, unfortunately, in most cases, have lost the ability to communicate, and they might know that a cat is around, but uh, they certainly don't attach a meaning to it. But the families certainly do, and I think I was a little surprised initially that there wasn't a whole series of U-Hauls moved up to the nursing home to bring mom and dad to different places after this came out. But we've thankfully seen the reverse happen. I think people have come to the nursing home looking for what Oscar represents, this idea of sort of compassionate care uh, at the end of life. And, you know, that message, I think, was lost on the cutting room floor during the flurry of activity surrounding the essay. And I think the book does just that. I think the book does what we as professionals want it to do. It introduces not only to the professionals, but to the lay public, what really goes on with compassionate care and hospice care and terminal care. And if Oscar's the vehicle for that, so be it. Let's talk some more about the programs that are in place at Steerhouse with regards to compassionate care and and what other facilities and other programs can do. Well, I'd like to say that Steerhouse came to the idea of animal programs, you know, on their own accord. But truthfully, you know, when it started at Steerhouse, it was very much uh, unusual for a nursing home or any healthcare facility to have an animal. When they were building this iteration of Steerhouse, the nursing home has been around for over 100 years, but uh, this is now the fourth building it's occupied. But as they were building it, there was a cat, unnamed stray cat, that used to hang around the construction site and even would steal lunches from some of the construction construction crews, and uh, they would shoo him away. And shortly after they dedicated the building, this cat walked in through the front doors into the atrium and sat down and refused to leave. And despite everybody's best efforts to try to get this animal out of the nursing home, he refused to leave and uh, would run into the building. And eventually they just got tired of chasing him out. It's kind of like the children's, you know, song, if, you know, the cat, you know, went away the very next day, we thought he was a gunner and the cat came back. You know, there was that element to it that, you know, every time they would bring this cat away from the nursing home, he would come right back and sit under the picture of the building's benefactor, uh, Henry Steer. So eventually they decided they would name him Henry, and he, he resided there for almost a decade. And again, this was pretty unusual at that time to have an animal. But, you know, as they found with Henry, I think the patients loved having him around. The staff certainly loved having him around, and they would be the ones who would pay for all his food and for all his shots and vaccinations. And, and everything. And when he died, there was very much of a void at Steerhouse, you know, that uh, they'd had this animal for a decade and he was their mascot, so to speak. So the nursing home made a conscious decision. If one cat was good, then six might be better. And that's how the animals came to Steerhouse for the most part. And, you know, it's been a wonderful thing. I think, you know, there's good data now to suggest, uh, or there is some data at the very least to suggest that animals have a, an active role in long-term care and in healthcare environments. 
patients, that they reduce depression and agitation. Even amongst those that have terminal dementia and can't communicate anymore, there's definitely some data to suggest that it reduces agitation. So I think the animals are important. It makes the nursing home certainly more like a home than a nursing home, and that's what all of the culture change hubbub is all about right now. And we use this buzzword culture change quite a bit, but I think there's still very few nursing homes that have truly embraced it. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am your host, Dr. Eric Tangalos, and joining me to discuss compassionate care for patients with dementia and Alzheimer's is Dr. David Dosa, geriatrician and health services researcher at Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island, and author of Making Rounds with Oscar, the Extraordinary Gift of an Ordinary Cat. You know, David, the American Medical Directors Association, sponsor of this program, put out its first 18-month pet calendar featuring pets, mostly dogs, from around the country's nursing homes. It's been a smashing success, featuring a number of cats as well. So we know that this movement, this animal movement, this holistic approach is really catching on. Tell us about some of the other activities with family members and how an animal might help with their coping in a given situation as well, especially with one so much related to death at this time. You know, I think animals in general in the geriatric older population are helpful. There's you know plenty of studies to suggest that having an animal reduces blood pressure and the likelihood of stroke. And even if it's just by virtue of having to go out and walk a dog, I think pets are good for elderly patients. And I think we should be encouraging, you know, ownership of animals, very much a a source of unconditional love. And we know that that's, you know, a really important thing. In terms of the nursing home, again, I mentioned the research that's out there with regards to reductions in depression, all of that. I think, obviously, we all could have a little more research. And, you know, I would definitely encourage people to do that research. But I think more than that, it, it really just sort of gives nursing home a sense of warmth that, you know, most of us own animals at one point during the course of our, our life. And somebody sometime long ago decided that hospitals should be these sterile places of healing. And that's really not necessarily needed. And, you know, certainly it is in some cases, but, you know, and not everybody potentially would want a cat running around their nursing home. But I think the idea of having them around is really something that appeals to people. And one of the vignettes in the book that I talk about is, you know, this idea of a family coming to the nursing home and walking into this locked unit and feeling like they've just been locked in maximum security and then seeing the animals walking around and and really warming up to the idea that, okay, this is not an ideal situation and certainly not one that we would want for a family member, but it's not as horrible as it could be. And, you know, they take some comfort from the idea of having the animals on the floor. So I think for the patients, it's a source of entertainment. It's a source of comfort. It's something to take mind off of day-to-day grind. Uh, For the patient families, it's a distraction. And this idea of having something that maybe reminds a patient of home. And so I think that it's all important to have these animals around. A fair amount of comic relief, uh, even on a locked ward. Uh, David, any trouble with the survey and compliance with the animals in your facilities? 
We've been really lucky in Rhode Island because I think we have a health department that gets it. The head of our health department is a former nursing home investigator himself, and he's a geriatrician and health services researcher. So, you know, I think he gets it, and I think that direction, you know, comes from above. But, you know, I've talked to lots of people around the country related to this, and certainly the book has generated a lot of phone calls. And, you know, I think it's important for nursing home, you know, medical directors or administrative directors or whoever to get on the phone and talk with the survey people, I mean, you know, about the idea of bringing an animal into an institution, because I, unfortunately, I don't think that that's the case everywhere. You know, there are still a lot of people who sort of, you know, scrunch their nose up with the idea of bringing an animal into a place of healing. Well, in your unique position now, you've almost become a clearinghouse for information on pets and uh, culture change in long-term care. As we wind down, any suggestions or other stories to share with our listeners how they can go about making changes in their facilities? Again, I mentioned this idea of Henry just showing up and being part of, you know, what made Steerhouse into what it's become. I, I think, you know, the people at Steerhouse didn't realize what they had lost until they lost it. And that, you know, generated the impetus for bringing more animals into the facility. And, you know, I think people have to take the leap of faith. You know, if you're a nursing home administrator or you're, you know, somebody who really cares about these types of issues, then, you know, I mean, that's one way to make a nursing home more like a home. And, you know, it's one of many things that ought to be done, but certainly it's something that I we found here in Rhode Island that really appeals to the family members, and they, they come looking for the animals. They, they come in, and they've looked at a bunch of nursing homes and not quite sure where where they'd like mom or dad to be, and this idea of being in a home that looks a little more like you know home you know should look like is something that appeals to people. Does Oscar have an opinion on Paul the Octopus? <laughs> I actually did an interview with the BBC a while back, and they asked me about that, if I had an opinion on Paul the Octopus. And I thought that that was chance eight times over. I think for Oscar, there's certainly a biological, plausible explanation for what he's doing. You know, why he does it, your guess is as good as mine. But I think whether he's responding to a smell or a pheromone, perhaps, that's released by cells that are in the dying process, a ketone or something like that, I I think, you know, that this is all too familiar, I think, to people who work work in the industry. You just have to ask a hospice worker about, you know, when do you know when you go into a home that somebody is near the end? It's when the cat comes out from under the bed and jumps on the bed or the dog comes to the bedside. I think if you listen to animals, they have a lot to teach you and they have a lot that they comprehend perhaps that we don't necessarily. And, you know, what's remarkable about Oscar is he's in an environment where in some senses he has the opportunity to have 40 family members. There's turnover and he does it repeatedly. But I don't think Oscar alone. There are other Oscars out there. And I think the more we get these animals into the homes, the more that we make these homes better places to be, the more we'll see other Oscars out there. I would like to thank my guest from Brown University, Dr. David Dosa. Dr. Dosa, thank you very much for being our guest this week on Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine. Okay. Well, thank you for having me on. You have been listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine is produced in cooperation with AMDA. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts.